You're listening to me to the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 160. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Greg Olson, who is a New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of nonfiction books and novels, most of which are crime-related. Greg is an impassioned voice for victims and their families, and he's been a guest on Dateline. 48 Hours, 2020, William Shatner's Aftermath, Deadly Women, Good Morning America, NPR, it just goes on and on. This is a real honor to have him on uh, my podcast. With more than 1 million copies sold, Olsen's true crime book, If You Tell, was Amazon's best-selling Kindle ebook in 2020. His latest best-selling novel, The Hive, was published on June 8th, 2021. The true crime junkie and crime fiction fanatic, I was thrilled to chat with Greg Olson about his amazing career his upcoming projects, and a lot more. So stay tuned for that uh, interview coming up here in just a moment. First, a quick reminder, please uh, go and rate and review this uh, podcast. Uh, wherever you're listening to to this, uh, wherever your favorite uh, podcasting app is, I uh, really appreciate it. You can check out all my links at uh, thrillingreads.com forward slash links. You can join my uh, Thrilling Reads newsletter there, as well as uh, getting all the links of where you can rate and review this. Check out my uh, author website and all that good stuff. Here is my interview with uh, Greg Olson. I'm excited to welcome Greg Olson to today's episode of the podcast, who is a New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of more than 30 crime books. His uh, latest novel, The Hive, follows Detective Lindsay Jackman as she investigates a complex and puzzling murder case with a charming wellness guru at its center. Uh, really excited to talk to Greg today. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me. And your listeners can't see it, but I'm looking at this charming picture of you uh, taken uh, 20 or 30 years ago. You look <laughs> eight, eight years. Not that okay. bad. Oh, eight. <laughs> well, you look you look good for whatever age you really are. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, I had to fess up. You know, it's an yeah. old picture. <laughs> no, it's um, great to be on. <laughs> great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. And so can you just tell us a little bit of, of I guess the listeners are familiar with your with, with you, your background uh, leading up to becoming a writer? Oh, sure. I mean, I started uh, many, many years ago, long before your picture was taken, <laughs> where I thought to myself, why don't I try, you know, I had a journalism degree. Why don't I try writing a book? How do, what book would I do? I would do a book that I like to read, which at that time, Alan, I read a lot of true crime books. I was fascinated by crime and I read them as soon as they came out. So it was natural for me to like segue into writing true crime, which is what probably the first half of my career was all about, um, interviewing people, getting their story, finding out, you know, what really happened behind the headlines. That was kind of my forte, really digging in. And then after a while, the true crime market started to wane. And that was mainly due to TV. TV was sucking up a lot of crime stories. If you can remember, you know, they were beyond every night, 2020 or Dateline or whatever. Um, so I thought, Mel, maybe I could try writing fiction. And I was lucky enough to be able to make that transition. And I love both true crime and and uh, and writing a thriller. So that's kind of my background, thinking that, you know, write what you want, what you read and then segueing into something that I thought was a big challenge, which would be fiction. And what was the do you do? You, I guess with the journalism background, what's the big differences for you between doing that switch from nonfiction to fiction or was it, or did you find it liberating? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a little, there's there's good and bad to both. I love true crime because I love people. I love being able to get to meet people and, you know, you being a journalist or a nonfiction writer, for sure, you've got a passport into other people's lives. They just, they just know they can talk to you and they are, you know, telling you things that you have never heard before or, you know, that kind of thing that really drives me to get that story. So I love that part of it. Um, but it takes a long time to write a true crime book. As you can imagine, you have to talk to many, many people and look at all the records. They so have to get everything right. So it's, you know, switching to fiction was liberating in that regard because it just, what was ever in my head, you know, like all of my experiences of interviewing, you know, killers or victims or cops or whatever, you know, like I carry all that with me. And this was a place where I could use it all in a, in a fictional way. And that's, like you said, the word is liberating. It is fun to write fiction, but in my heart, I will tell you, it is more rewarding to write nonfiction. And what do you think now in the last few years, especially with like the true crime podcast, seems like there's a true crime podcast coming out every three seconds. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm working on one myself, right? All now. right. So, cool. You know, so hey, I'm a junkie. I'll have so. you on. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a, been a huge renaissance in true crime interest in streaming, you know, either whether it's Netflix or whatever, or a podcast. And that's really been interesting because you know, for a long time, true crime was like the ugly stepchild of any genre. And, uh, you know, in the when you went to uh, the Barnes and Noble or whatever, you would go to that back section with, you know, those horrible covers of, you know, what they look like. I yeah. mean, <laughs> true crime, it wasn't it wasn't a classy move, but all of a sudden now, you know, like everybody, your mom or your grandma or your wife or your everybody seems to be a true crime fan right now. And it's a it's the storytelling of the podcast that gets people sucked in. It's a little bit like um, old radio shows, I imagine, where you're listening, but, you know, you're you're able to kind of imagine a little bit on your own. And also you're taking it in when it's convenient for you. So I think all of those come into play. Um, with this huge renaissance in true crime. Well, looking forward to your uh, true crime podcast then, because yeah, I, I I watched them on Netflix. I watched the documentaries on Netflix, and I listened to too many t- uh, true crime podcasts. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. What is your favorite? Are you allowed to say? Oh yeah, I, I think so. I think I'm allowed to say. I like there's one called Case Files, and yes. um, yeah, I like that one. I like that style. You know, it's just kind of like I'm here's what happened. <laughs> Yeah. Versus, you know, there's a lot of them that are a little too much, you know, I don't, I prefer that type of style than like the, you know, people like drinking wine and, and talking about true crime. <laughs> right. There's that style where there's a lot of banter and, yeah. and all that. Mine is what I'm trying to develop is more along the lines of what I think you like, which is I really want to give people that inside look at the story from people who were in the story. So it's not just, you know, me chatting away about something with somebody in it with a glass of wine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 I like those a lot better too. Cause yeah, you get more into the story too. And, and that's supposed to be great with your background too. You know how to interview people and, and get resource sources and all that stuff. Yeah, no, that's yeah. The, the, the part about, um, you know, back to true crime versus fiction is that when you write true crime, those people are with you forever in your life. You know, they trusted you to write their story and you, you know, you don't burn anybody and you, you do as respectful job as you can. 
So they were with you forever. And then with fiction, it's like sometimes really, Alan, I can't even remember who the characters were from a, a book or two ago <laughs> because I've already written two since then. You know what I mean? Yeah, By the yeah. time they come out, that it's it's harder to hang on, I think, to who these people are that I'm creating so much easier when I sat in somebody's home, you know, and cried with them or talked with them about something that happened. Um, those are indelible. And, you know, I hear other novelists talk about their characters being so real. And I feel like mine are real at the time I'm writing them, but at the end, it's, it's just a story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's different than a, a document about somebody else's life. Yeah, because there's been not, not a lot of people that have done what you've done to actually, like you said, sit down in a room with. Some, I can't even imagine like talking to someone who's lost a loved one like that, you know. So yeah, I can imagine that stays with you, versus something you just made up. That's right. And the thing about it is, you really learn. You know, I mean, we, a lot, all of us thriller writers, you know, we're writing it and about terrible things that happen to people, or hopefully, you know, by the end of the story, they get out of their jam or whatever. But you know, there are those real people out there that have gone through those circumstances and um it is an honor to write their story it's just it's not a job it is an honor and it's a passion um so i take i never take that lightly and then so and your latest book now is the hive which was uh, released in june and it's already i see it the, in the top of all the charts already so that's congratulations good, right? <laughs> yeah that's good yeah you know i was very intrigued with it too because going back to the podcast thing i had watched the i had listened to a podcast about uh What's that guy? He was like a, a, a self-help guru who like kills people in the um, in a sweat lodge. Oh yes. And so I kind of when I saw what your book was about, I'm like, oh, so I was, was very in, interested to read in it, and it was uh, it was great. But for the listeners, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Can you tell us a little bit? Can you tell us what, what, what the hive is all about and how that came about for you? Right. I mean, just like you, I I saw that sweat lodge one, and then I watched the one on Nexium. Oh, yeah. And there was another one that I started watching all these cult movies um, and streaming things. And I was really interested in that idea, like what a charismatic person that exerts some sort of influence, major influence, enough so that people will change their lives in order to be with that person or to advance that person's agenda. Like, it really interests me, like how, like even on, on the next scene, how could you know, Catherine Oxenberg's daughter, you know, <laughs> just, it just not, you know, just fade away, not come back to her mom or talk to her mom or, or something. It didn't seem like there was a bad relationship. How is it that somebody can make people do things that, you know, that you would never think anyone could do? So at the central part of my story is a woman named Marnie Spellman. Marnie is a, like a self-help guru type. She's, you know, really in tune with nature and that whole idea of holistic, natural products and health. And her idea, you know, stems from a childhood experience where she claims that a swarm of bees had lifted her up and spoke to her. So there's a mystery and a mystical part of her story. But as the story advances and as the bodies turn up, you see there's a dark side to what Marnie Spellman was all about, what she was doing and, you know, how these other people, mostly women became, you know, enthralled with her and then very frightened of her. And that's really what the hive is all about. The hive is the name that the girls gave for their little group. 
you know, she was the queen bee, Marnie, and the other women were, you know, her helpers and they made up the hive. Oh, okay. So that makes sense now how you came up with the idea. For, I was going to ask about that. What, what What's up with the bees? <laughs> yeah. It's all about, it's all about the bees and, you know, and the curative properties of pollen and uh, royal jelly and honey and all of those things. There's a whole, you know, world of study on what, you know, what honey from certain plants can do for people. And she was tuned into that and, and built this basically a cosmetics empire but it was more, it was her philosophy was if I make you look better on the outside, you'll feel better on the inside. It was like an outside in kind of approach, which, you know, a lot of her followers liked and they, you know, they moved from their families to be with her. Yeah. It's what's really cool about this too, was like, because I mean, I think like not all these people like in, in all these cult stuff starts off like trying to be, do bad things. It's just kind of like, seems like it gets out of control somehow. So that was kind of a fascinating to do that and look at the character, how it's been changing and the secrets and all that. That's, that was a very, uh, very intriguing part of the, of the story. You know, I, I will tell you, Alan, I thought of, of all people, Martha Stewart, when I was writing this book, yeah. I was thinking about her and I think I might've mentioned her name in the book, but it's like, here's a powerful woman who creates this incredible media empire which we all know Martha did. And then she has this downfall where she does this insider stock trading thing. And it kind of makes you look at her in a whole different way. And that's kind of what Marnie is like in my mind. It's somebody who had it all and then made a terrible mistake, a foolish mistake, a wrong, evil mistake. And then in Martha's case, of course, she came back hopefully on you know, clean on her own. Um, Marnie Spellman chooses a different way to get back to where she was. And that's, that's what the hive is about. And so what inspired you now with a female centric uh, driven suspense novel like this, what, is, what inspired your decision to, to write a female centric novel? And was there any challenges as a, as a male to, to write in the female characters? I don't really think so. I mean, I think that for me, um, most probably 90, maybe 99% of my protagonists are female. And that's mainly because the genre that I'm in, the suspense drama genre that I've chosen to be in is mostly female driven and it's female readers. Um, in fact, most of my readers, like 90, not 90, I'd say like 80 some percent of them are women. So I'm really writing to that audience and I'm putting, you know, what I've always felt I put strong female characters in my characters are, you know, I look at them and I think, well, she's a woman and she's doing this, but if you change the gender or whatever, and it was a man doing it, it would feel the same way in terms of their, you know, there's nobody weak here. There's nobody subservient. It is the way, you know, the way I raised my twin daughters to be whatever it is they wanted to be. And that's what my women are all about in all of my books. That was a fascinating too, because you're like you're you're like um, juggling several storylines and timelines uh, in the book. Uh, how do you keep all that straight? <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, that was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your first attempt of at doing that? Or? Seriously, that was a nightmare, and I've always had problems with my timelines, and my readers know that it's. Uh, when I write a book, I have the idea and I know what I'm going to do. And, I, but I find that in, you know, that I'm always as interested in the past as I'm as much as I am in that narrative, that's driving the reader to the end. You know, I care about 
where these people came from. So I've got a lot of, you know, information I want people to have. And that I think comes from my true crime background in that when you wrote a true crime book, it couldn't be just a victim. You had to have the reader see the victim as a person, you know? So I, I, I do give a lot of attention to backstory. So there was a lot of juggling in that case. And of course, you know, one murder happens, um, you know, 20 years from the first murder. So I've got this back and forth a little bit of the 20 year cycle going on too. You got through it, Alan. You liked it. I made it. I liked it. I got it. Yeah. I, yep. I saw it. I wasn't, it wasn't lost that or confused. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you, know. you nailed it. Okay. <laughs> and so now, as from a technical side too, I'm always so curious. Now, how do you like write your books like with Word, and do you keep track of everything with 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 like Word or or note no, cards I'm, or? <laughs> I'm so old school, Alan. I do uh, note cards that I. You know, what I, I I do, of course, use a computer to write. Yes, a laptop, but I do all that. I don't use any of those tools that a lot of writers use that graph the characters and all that kind of stuff. What I do is I, I have a note card. And when I have an idea of what, you know, the character is like or what might happen next, I write it on the card and I revisit my cards. I mean, it's it's all throughout the writing process. I'm looking at my cards and I look, okay, I used that idea up or I did something like that already. The card is out. My my hope is by the end of the book that I've really pulled through all those cards, those ideas, and used only the good ones <laughs> yeah. and have not very many left um, when it's over. But I, I've often taken pictures of what my work looks like. And I mean, I have a, a table and a floor covered in cards and papers as I'm pulling it together, thinking, um, you know, what would be better next? Wow. So, uh, you know, um, I'm probably, you know, more, they, you know, they do plotter and pantser, you know, you, those terms. And yeah. I would be more of a, more of a pantser, although I start with an idea of what the plot is, but I really do let those cards and those ideas take me to where I need to go. Before you start writing a, a fiction book, how much research do you do? Do you, because especially with your background, do, is that a problem? Like how want to stop or do you do a lot of research? Um, I don't do that much research. Um, most of them are like domestic, so there's not too much that I can do. In every place that I've written about, I mostly write about places in the Northwest. Um, Lummi Island is uh, this central point of most of the action in um, the Hive. And that's an island, you know, north of Seattle. I visited it and I've been to it many times. And I used to go to school in Bellingham, which is the big town near there. So I, I always write about places I've been and that I know very well. And I love writing about the Pacific Northwest because I think um, there's such diversity in our geography and our climate. Um, it doesn't rain all the time, like everybody says, but it's um, gloomy enough to be you know, like, you know, tonic for those people that are writing um, the kind of stuff I write. Yeah, and a lot and a lot of famous uh, crimes and serial killers come from that area, oh, <laughs> from the Pacific yeah. Northwest. What's we're up with that? <laughs> we're super good at that. <laughs> we really, really are. Yeah, yeah. Those are the those were the first uh, best true crime books that I read was uh, Anne Rule. I think that was her name, right? Yeah, yeah. she wrote that, that Ted Bundy one. I was like blown away. I was like, oh, this is like a like a it's like fiction, but it isn't creepy. No, I know <laughs> Anne. You know, Anne was a friend of mine, and she was great. She, you know, I really looked up to her and she helped me a lot. That's one of the things about, you know, starting out. 
you know, is finding somebody that uh, is more seasoned than you and that can give you some pointers or whatever. And Anne was great. She is super, super kind to other writers. Yeah, that's great to see it in the, in the community too. Like uh, writers always wanting to help each other out, even if the, you know, might be competitors or whatever, but right. <laughs> so it seems like it's a good, <laughs> they're still like we're helping all, each other out. I know we're always happy until somebody's more successful. <laughs> You're like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. And then of course we know it won't last forever. So they'll be back down. <laughs> yeah. And so what's, uh, what's your process then like when you, once you, once you're in writing a book, I mean, do you like, do you write every day? Do you have set hours or what's your process like? Yeah, my process is, um, you know, I recently retired from a job I had for 20 some years at Boeing where I was a writer. So I had to do all of my writing, Alan, on the weekends, which made me really, really disciplined. And my process was this. I'd go to rent a cabin or do something. And I only had like, you know, those 48 hours to write. I would, you know, write every time I wrote a thousand words, I'd take a break and give myself a treat of some kind. The treat could be um, a walk on the beach or something, or it could be by the end of the day, it was a gin and tonic, you know, <laughs> or whatever, whatever, you know, like, uh, and, and I'm racking up, you know, I set a goal. I'm going to write 6,000 words today and 5,000 tomorrow and I'd get it done. And that was really um, like the way I did it. And since I've been retired, when uh, my editor's not going to like this, but <laughs> You know, I have a book due in a few weeks. I hope to God I get it done. Um, but when you have all the time in the world, it's harder to carve out that time you really need, if that makes any sense. I've heard that before. The, the people think, oh, now I'm going to have all the time in the world. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't get anything done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, my process is I get up very early in the morning. I'm, I like to work very early. And by about four o'clock, I'm done. And I look at my material the next day to see, you know, very cursory to see where I kind of was. Maybe I tweak it a little bit and then I'm on to hitting that goal, whatever that goal is. Um, and it's always a word count goal. That's so impressive too. So you wrote like, uh, so you wrote like, um, if you tell when you still have your day job. Yes. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was lucky there in that there wasn't too much travel on that one because it was a local story and it was a tr you know, true story. But um, yeah, I've written them all with a day job, basically. My first few books, I was, you know, self-employed as a as an author. Um, and then it came time to send my kids to college. And I thought I got to get a real job. So that's what I did. <laughs> and it was only going to be temporary, but I liked it so much I stayed. Yeah, well, that's the best of both worlds. If you like, yeah. if you like what you're doing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. And so, um, and so, most of your books now they're like uh, they're like standalones. Do you like doing that? Have you ever thought what What are your thoughts on writing a series compared to a standalone? I've done a couple of series, and I do actually prefer a standalone. In fact, it turns out that my standalones usually sell better than a, a series book. So, I probably won't do another series that I'm doing one now that wraps up in another book. But I think, you know, like, like I have maybe bigger ideas that I want to write about that should be like a one and done. And what are you working on now then? Oh, I've got, so I'm working on, um, I have a true crime that I'm working on right now. Um, it's about a serial killer from Spokane, Washington, that uh, basically, you know, three prostitutes were murdered 
Um, no one could solve the case. Finally, when um, DNA analysis had proved to be more fruitful, they ran the uh, clothing and the fingernail scrapings of one of the victims back through the system and they got a hit and it turned out to be a woman in a prison in texas that had and they thought how could this be this is the dna was from semen hmm. how does this track to woman it turned out that the woman um doug donna perry was her name but she had previously been doug perry and she had gone to thailand to have a sex change because she wanted to stop doug from killing oh and wow she, so she went and had the full surgery and then got in trouble again and ended up in prison so you know she said i did it to stop doug from doing it and it's a really interesting case um it's you know obviously we hear a lot now about you know transgender and how uh you know, this is a, a situation where Doug, you know, in the early like 90s, went off to Thailand on his own to have the surgery. You know, not much was really known about it the way we know about things now today or what was the psychology behind it all. So I think it's really an interesting story um, and topical because of the gender identity issue. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I'll have to uh, check that out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, were you no, with, with regards to the fiction books, when you decided to switch over to fiction, were you a fan of, of thriller uh, crime type books that were fiction before you started to write them? Yes. I mean, I read, I really liked certain, I mean, I liked, I always say that the one who made me think I could do it, which is such a joke because she's so good, was Patricia Cornwell in her early books. I devoured them and loved them. And I thought, you know, I could, I could maybe try that. I think I read Michael Connelly. I read, you know, people that were popular in, in the genre. And what were people buying? What were they taking to the beach to read? What were the books, you know, that maybe, you know, somebody wouldn't say they were great literature, although I would say they are, but that kind of thing. I want to know what, what was, what was, what was popular and why? And those are the books. I love Stephen King. Um, you know, I, I just loved any of those books that you would find in that top 10 at your supermarket. Those were the ones I was after, Alan. I wanted to read all of those. Then I've also been asking now because of, of, of what we've gone through the last year, how, in fiction work, how are you planning to address the uh, pandemic? Or are you not worrying about that right now? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not even going to mention it. I'm yeah. pretending like it like it never <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, most of that most of the writers I've interviewed are doing that. So I think I have COVID fatigue. <laughs> really? I mean, it could be interesting that maybe down the road somebody will write a great novel about the pandemic. <laughs> but I just think I'm done with masks. I mean, I'm vaccinated and and I I'm fully sanitized wherever I can go, yeah. but I don't want to put it in one of my books. Yeah, it was weird. I just read John Sanford's uh uh, ocean spray, uh, ocean prey. No, not spray. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, I love it. his, I love his cranberry. <laughs> a, a slip there. Yeah. But yeah, ocean prey. 
Yeah. And at, right at the end, uh, this is not a spoiler in the book, but right at the end, he was like, oh, there's this thing called COVID, you know? And so I'm like, oh, well, it kind of like jarred me like out of the story because I'm like, ew, <laughs> ew. <laughs> right. He just, you know, he was typing along. I think I got to end this thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll mention COVID with a little like, what is this thing? You know, <laughs> and then the reader will get, wow. <laughs> Yeah. But I'll have well, to check out Ocean, Ocean Spray. <laughs> that in the frozen juice aisle? <laughs> yeah, well, Ocean Spray isn't that good, but Ocean Prey is pretty good. <laughs> okay, excellent. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I would like to, uh, uh, last question I'd like to ask my guests. It's always because I know I have a lot of aspiring writers that are listening to this, and I know it's kind of cliche, but any advice for aspiring writers listening? Well, yeah, and that, what I tell any as- aspiring writer is this. It's a job. It's something you have to do every single day to get where you're going. And that's, I mean, that's the page that I preach to everybody when I see people and they're starting out. It's like, don't talk about it, do it. And of course, read everything you can. But I always say, write every single day, even if it's only a sentence, put something down on paper or, you know, on screen because that's always going to move you forward to your goal, which is whatever that finished page or that story or that poetry or whatever it is about. It starts with that one line. Got to do it every day. Great. That's great advice. And now where, where can the people find you? Uh, what's your, uh, like the best place, your website? Yeah, my website is NotoriousUSA.com. Come on and uh, check it out. I've got a lot of cool stuff out there. And of course, uh, if you tell is like in the top four or whatever on Amazon right now with the hive around number 65, I think. So they're up there and I'd love for people to, you know, try them both because, uh, you know, they're both crime related, but they're very, very different. And I would love to hear from my readers. Yeah. I noticed about that, about if you tell, because that's been out a couple of years and I was like uh, gangbusters again. It's not, there's no stopping that book. <laughs> I mean, How does it feel? Does that, that feel kind of surreal? Or? It does, I mean, I looked at it like, you know, I used to like ask my editor like the night before, like the charts on Amazon charts. I'd say, do you, are we going to be on tomorrow? And I don't ask anymore, but I do go on at, at night and check. And it was on again this week for the 85th week in a row. Wow. <laughs> you know, number four. So, you know, I think about that. I think, wow, there, this book really does have legs. And, you know, in my wildest dreams, Alan, I never thought I would write a book that would last like this one has. And I think it's a worthy story for it, for sure, what the sisters went through. Mm -hmm. But it also shows us, you know, you know, like when we are having hard times, like the pandemic, uh, maybe reading about somebody that has it worse than you is something people want to do because <laughs> it was the number one bestseller for Amazon last year, which is the year of the pandemic. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Uh, when everybody was watching the tiger King, everyone was to watch something different, something. <laughs> That's different. right. I forgot about the tiger King. He's, that was <laughs> good Yeah, it was. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, thank you so much. The hive is out now. Highly recommended. And, and if you tell also, that's a, both are, both are doing so wonderful. Um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. I enjoy talking to you so much, Alan. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. 
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there